Welcome to Stories of Iceland. It has been a while since the last time. As always, it is challenging for me to find time to research, write and record. And if you want more episodes, more regularly, then please support me on Patreon. I am, as always, grateful for my supporters. My newest supporters are Paul Karatif and Anne Foster. Thanks to them and the rest of my supporters, especially Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. Join them at patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is episode 19, The Tourism Boom in Post-Crass Iceland. Iceland is in the North Atlantic, its capital city is Reykjavik. After the financial crash in 2008, the Icelandic krona, the independent currency of our country, crashed as well. A lot happens when a country's currency loses value. Imports from abroad become more expensive, while domestic products and services are much less affected. I should also note that the Icelandic krona had been overvalued in the years preceding the crash. I felt this when I was at university in Ireland in 2007. Everything seemed cheap there, but it was not. Not really. We were borrowing against the future, and after the crash, we had to repay with interest. There were really two things that got Iceland back on its feet. One was fish a kind of fish that Icelanders had never really been interested in, mackerel. After the crash, mackerel began showing up in our territorial waters, and we took advantage of it. The fishing industry is built around exports, so when the krona crashed, fishing became more lucrative. There is another industry that thrived after the crash, because it was hampered by how expensive the krona was, tourism. Before the crash, Iceland was a bit cool, but everything here cost a lot of money. After the crash, prices in Iceland suddenly became reasonable. But lower prices don't advertise themselves. Iceland needed something bigger than Björk, or Björk, to make people notice this sheep-shaped island. In 2010, we got a big promotion. In April, a volcano called Eyjafjallajökull erupted, hurling volcanic ash up into the atmosphere, causing a flood of cancelled flights and bad pronunciations around the world. Eyjafjallajökull plajakur. Doll. 
Of the volcano, Aya Fiatla Yurga. 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 Aya Fiatla Aya Fiatla Aya Fiatla Yurga. Just think of, hey, you forgot your yogurt. And that's yeah. kind of close. Aya Fiatla Yurga. I forgot my yogurt. We kind of thought that everyone would hate us, but instead people started reading up on Iceland. News reporters started showing up, and we started trending as a destination. Maybe it was because the people most likely to pay attention were tourists, people accustomed to flying around the world. Then there was television. Big production companies saw the prices drop in Iceland, as well as tax incentives, and suddenly Iceland became the setting for Game of Thrones, as well as many other big-budget shows and films. So this northern exposure made even more people want to visit. What does a sudden tourism boom do to a tiny country? The same as to any country, just more exaggerated. Downtown Reykjavik was suddenly full of souvenir shops called puffin stores by Icelanders since some marketing genius had discovered that puffins were cute and made them into a symbol for Iceland. Which was weird for us Icelanders since puffins were mostly associated with certain parts of the country rather than the country as a whole. And besides, they're on some bike trip around Iceland taking pictures of puffins. Whatever the hell those are. Another effect on Reykjavik is a housing shortage. There is more money in hiring apartments out to tourists through services like Airbnb than renting or selling them to people who want to live in them full time. But of course, this is a problem all around the world. But as with everything... It gets more exaggerated in Iceland. If you visited Iceland in the 80s or the early 90s, then you would most likely have met and talked to many ordinary Icelanders. They would have treated you as a curiosity and often gone out of their way to help you. Today, tourists are mundane. They are a part of the scenery. This is a huge shift. Tourists don't really talk to Icelanders unless they are part of the tourist industry. The change the tourists bring is also reflected on language. If you speak English, which I assume you do since otherwise this podcast would be really confusing, then you'll notice that Iceland is full of English. Shops use English names, English is on menus, English is on signs, and often it is not even accompanied by Icelandic. When you enter a place of business that relies on tourists, then you are most often automatically greeted in English. This is confusing for Icelanders since we can't really be sure if the person who greets us is actually foreign or just an Icelander who assumes Everyone is a tourist, and assumes that all tourists speak English. This confusion actually led to a scandal last year, when a group of politicians, members of 
the Althingi, went out drinking in Reykjavik and assumed there was nobody around that spoke Icelandic. So they spent hours spouting awful things, mostly about other politicians, really ugly, often misogynistic stuff. One of them, the former foreign minister, bragged about how he had gotten away with appointing a former prime minister as the ambassador to the USA as a political favor by getting an implicit promise that he himself would also get an appointment when he decided to leave political life. This drinking group also included the former prime minister who was forced out of office after the Panama Papers scandal. At another table, there was a woman who they thought was a foreigner. But she became so angry with what the group was saying that she started recording the very loud conversation that the group was having. The recording ended up in the media and everybody got upset, but since none of those drinking buddies held government office, there weren't real consequences. Some of them took a vacation from Parliament, and others have tried making up stories about some sort of conspiracy. I guess the only lesson they learned was not to assume that people in downtown Reykjavik are tourists, though most of them might be. Iceland's love affair with English does, of course, go deeper than just the tourist industry. For one, my neighborhood grocery shop is called Iceland. British people know this chain. British people know this chain that is famous mostly for frozen food. It really does feel stupid to talk about a store in Iceland that is called Iceland, not the Icelandic word Island, but the English word. But when you shop in Iceland, you are greeted in Icelandic since tourists don't really frequent my part of Reykjavik. The Icelandic tourist industry currently employs a large amount of foreigners, some of them immigrants, others that are more like migrant workers trying something different. There have been cases of employers within the tourist industry taking advantage of their non-native workers who don't know the rights they should have according to Icelandic laws and regulations. This does, of course, not apply to the majority of companies, but it is a worrying trend. Visitors in Iceland can't truly do anything about this, but if you are a foreigner working in Iceland, it is always a good idea to contact the trade union and ask about your rights. As in any country that has a large tourism industry, there are always people trying to take advantage of tourists. The most extreme example of this was a hotel in Reykjavik with sworn guests against drinking the tap water and sold its own brand of bottled water that was filled with water from the tap in the hotel. That particular hotel has been closed. Tap water in Iceland is safe to drink. It might taste strange at first, but that can often be rectified by running the water for 10 or 20 seconds before you fill your glass or bottle. The darkest side of tourism in Iceland is that people aren't made aware of how dangerous some parts of the country are. Sometimes people also just ignore warning signs. 
The locals know about the danger. We might seem reckless, but that is often because we know exactly what to expect. We understand that Iceland can be perilous. We know that when we travel around the country, we have to check the weather. It can seem really nice out, and then, all of a sudden, everything goes kind of crazy. A couple of weeks ago, I spent an hour in my car waiting for my son, who was rehearsing with his school band. In that hour, the weather changed from sunshine to a hailstorm and back again at least three times. The sun made the car unbearably hot, and then the hailstorm came, and the car was so cold that I had to start it and run the heat. Icelandic weather can be exactly this ridiculous, which is mostly okay if you're in your car, but if you're hiking in the wilderness, then it can be life-threatening. The most extreme example of the danger that tourists aren't aware of is the beach at Ereinisfjera, near Vík in the south of Iceland. It is really pretty, but when the waves come, they can literally grab you and drag you into the sea. This has claimed the lives of at least three tourists, and there have been many close calls. Icelandic nature can be devastatingly beautiful, but it also has devastating power. If you want to be safe in Iceland, then you really should check out safetravel.is. Especially if you are not part of a larger group with an experienced guide. But you are likely safe if you're just hanging around downtown Reykjavik. The stuffed puffins rarely attack. Tourism has had a huge part in turning the economy of Iceland around, but it is dangerous for any society to rely too much on a single source of revenue. You should not put all your eggs in one basket, as they say. Though I myself have mostly stored all my eggs in a single egg carton. Recently, Iceland was hit with a flood of news reports that the tourism industry was in trouble. The strange thing is that there weren't fewer tourists coming to Iceland. No, the problem was that the number of tourists was not growing as quickly as in the previous years. That baffles me. Is it that we are relying on tourism to fuel other parts of the economy? It worries me that the economy always needs more and more instead of stability. One part, one part of the tourism bubble burst last month. Vau Air went bankrupt, stranding some people, ruining countless vacation plans, and a domino effect of unemployment. Wow Air was a weird company. It started with flashy uniforms and a lot of hype. The name was in English, but a strange choice since the word Wow in Icelandic, even though it is spelled differently, means danger. So to Icelander, it kind of sounds like danger air. The prices were often ridiculously cheap, and it was kind of obvious that they couldn't make money. One of the problems Danger Air and the tourism industry in Iceland as a whole has to deal with is that the Icelandic corona is getting stronger again. It hasn't become as overpriced as it was, but the effect is clear. As I said earlier, when the corona was weak, Iceland suddenly became affordable, 
But now, when the corona is strong, we have lost that part of our appeal. The irony here is obvious. The tourism industry rebuilt the Icelandic economy and is now in trouble because the corona has risen as a consequence. It does remind me of the quote that, like Saturn, the revolution devours its children. That is it for today. Hope you will not have to wait as long for the next episode. I am working on quite a few scripts. Thanks to Evan Williams, Jon Helgason, Austin Yule, Fred Sudler, and all my other supporters. And as always, special thanks to Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. I am Olignes Soljason, and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 19, The Tourism Boom in Post-Crass Iceland. Thanks for listening.